0: Thanks for calling the Frothcast, where we aim to froth till you sloth. This is Hendo speaking. How may I help you? Oi, Hendo. It's Drezza, you fucking little muppet. Drezdog? Holy shit, dude. You're alive? Didn't we lock you in a dumpster, mate? Yeah, mate. I got out. Duh. Dude, heavy. Dude, where are you? What's going on? Oh, bloody hell, brother. I've been stuck in the fucking Bahamas the past month. I've been eating cheese sandwiches and drinking manatee milk, mate. Uh, Old mate said I was supposed to DJ this festival. I kind of got on a hot one. And at the end of the bender, I woke up, mate, and nobody was here. And I said, where's everyone gone, mate? Are you kidding me? Damn dog, yeah, I heard all about that one. Sorry, man. Hey, look, I've got this show to run today. We've got old mate Goldroom on this episode, so uh, I kind of got to go. But is everything all good, dog? Oh well, excuse me, mate. Sorry to take up all your precious time. Hey, yeah, everything's all good, mate. Um, just listen to your first episode of the Frothcast, and to be honest, mate, I'm pretty fucking devoured. Kind of spewing that uh, you wouldn't hire me for the surf report, hey? Oh, all right. Yeah. I mean, my bad, man. I kind of thought you died, but, uh, yeah, if you want, like, let's see what you got, dog. Let's hear it. Ladies and gentlemen, a surf forecast by none other than Dreza himself. Go for it, dog. Might. it's gonna be shit. Aloha, wasabi, and greetings from my bathroom. <laughs> in Los Angeles, California. Welcome back to the FrothCast, I'm your host Hendo, and this is episode two, numero dos. This episode features a couple quick updates for you frothers out there, but the real meat and potatoes is a lovely little chat I had with the legendary musician, artist, band, frontrunner, DJ, and all around ledge dog by the name of Josh Leg, AKA Goldroom. You're going to want to stick around and hear the spicy conversation we had talking about such things as creating a successful music career, the creative process of songwriting, nerve turds, and mucho, mucho más. For now, get yourself a slab of VB, maybe a couple lagoon bags, some fondue, and a comfy place to listen to this podcast, preferably in the nude, because we're coming in hot. This episode is brought to you by Soleil Bicycles. Soleil and I are teaming up. We're going to give you 20% off your next purchase. So go online to soleilbicycles.com or check out their shop at 1330 Main Street, Venice Beach, California, and enter the discount code FROTH, F-R-O-T-H. And you're looking at 20% off. That's like a free beer. Not only do they have some super sick bikes, I myself have a city cruiser, but they're also involved with music and they have every ledge dog in the game within their fix Tape series. So check out their SoundCloud, go online, check out their bikes, enter the discount code FROTH, and you're going to be steezing and breezing all summer long. All right, all right, mates. Uh, Let's dive straight into a couple quick updates. First things first, this week in music. I'm a little late to this party, but I've really been feeling the entire new album by the band Fennec Solar. The album is called Zilla, and it is an absolute indie dance slash electro pop thriller. Be sure to give that one a go. It'll get the vibes frothing. Next up is the new disco funk lord, also known as Oliver Nelson, with his latest release entitled Rhubarb. I don't know how you say that. Rhubarb, I think. Anyways, this song is an all around feel good classic new disco jam that retains a good bit of nostalgia and even more froth. Do a couple fish pumps with that one, and uh, you'll be owning it in the club, dog. Last but definitely not least, my uh, buddies over at the Shit Art Club, along with Rude Boy, a.k.a. at A Fishy Bish on Insta, yowzas, uh, his brother Shawnee, and a couple of other legends threw their first shit art party last Saturday. And let me tell you, mates, it was absolutely smashing. With super rad art from the homies, a couple skate rats like Shreddy Kruga jumping off a roof into the mini pipe, and also a ripping band by the name of Dancing Tongues. I seriously cannot wait for the next shit art party. Go check out Dancing Tongues and their track entitled Winter Romance on Spotify, as it's sure to get you jazzed up. I remember being in the pit, and I was just like, yeah, mate, give me more. This is next level. All right, mates, just a quick little fantasy surfer update. We're not going to talk too much about that because my team sucked absolute donkey dick in Brazil. I think I'm in last place now. Thanks a lot. If you guys didn't hear the first episode, go back and get some advice and some insight from Dr. Sana and Mr. Liz Lord. They've got some great tips for you guys out there. But moving on, by the time that you hear this, I'll probably be in that little heart-shaped piece of paradise that we all know and love as... Tarua Fiji, two of the best lefts in the world, Cloudbreak and Restaurants. Think about that. Think about goofy footers, but also think about guys who can get absolutely kegged backside. You're going to want to pick some of the ledge dogs. So I'm going to let you guys decide at this time. If you've got any fantasy surfer tips or insight, or if you yourself are a past champion, give me a call. Give me an email. Hendofroth at gmail.com and check out my Instagram at Hendo underscore froth for some live updates of Tabarua as I plan on doing one or possibly two episodes while I'm out there so if you guys got questions for anybody, whoever I get on the desk, why don't you send them my way and we'll talk more about fantasy in that lovely slice of heaven until then, best of luck with your fantasy and may the best frother win Namaste Namaste You're not- yeah, Phil, dog, wasabi, bra. It
1: doing? How you doing?
0: Uh, living the dream. You are live on the frothcast. Oh, let's go, How's everybody. <laughs> just doing a little health section. Last week we talked about manatee milk. This week I want to talk about Bergs <laughs> beer and pizza, dog. Just having a little bit of gluttony, dude. Just uh, some of the best things in life, right? For sure. I just wanted to ask you about uh, a couple of your Berg wrecks. If you can give some of the listeners out there some places to go to get a damn good burger.
1: I think Triple is probably one of the best burgers in the world. That's that, Triple Burger. Little, little duck, uh, pork, and beef all in one patty.
0: Ooh, super juicy. Where's that at?
1: That's in Playa Del Rey.
0: Sick, okay. Don't okay.
1: One a chance. I think Father Office is overrated. And, you know, you can't go wrong with bananas. That's your classic life.
0: Yeah. Home <laughs> barbecue burger, you know? Shit on that dick. Well, what about Pizza Dog? What do you think about that? <laughs>
1: Uh, I think, I think pizza's just, I think any pizza's good, really. I don't really know the difference between bad and good pizza. Uh, everybody gives me shit because, because I like Domino's, and I order Domino's a lot. <laughs> I
0: don't know. So if someone had a gun to your head and said, what's your favorite pizza, what would you say?
1: <laughs> I don't know, I wouldn't have
0: I I don't have one. Probably whatever is most convenient. So you'll take a uh, Gino's Microwave DiGiorno over something like uh, Stella Barra any day.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I just no, I don't. I'm gonna take it over. I just don't know the difference. You it, know? Like it doesn't. It would. Nothing's gonna persuade me more than the other.
0: Right. It's kind of same, same but different. Samba, samba. So what? what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know anymore. Was... <laughs> Last but not least, what about your favorite place to get a beer around LA?
1: The Shack, a pair dogs. I think Plateres is the way to go. It's just cheap. Um You know, like bring it back. Like go to Henanos, it's a $15 picture for Bud Light. Who the hell charges $15 for a pitcher of Bud Light? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck, man. Like, you go to the Shack's $8 pictures at Bud Light. You can almost get, you almost get two pictures for the price of one at Henanos.
0: And I think that Henanos uh, is the cheapest place in Venice. I think. You think so, for beers? I mean, other than, like, Sports Harbor or something like that. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's my type of spot right
0: there, you know? Sick dick. Well, any uh, parting words of uh, wisdom or an adios wasabi at all to call you off?
1: Oh, man. No, no I, don't got, I got nothing, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, dog, we'll start training for Fiji, and uh, I will see you out in Tavarua, bro Cool, brother. Good talking. There you have it, folks. Phil Dog has spoken. So go check out some of his recos for the Bergs. Check out uh, pretty much any kind of pizza you want because it's all tastes the same. And go get a little picture at P.O. Dubs or The Shack and tell them old mate Phil Dog sent ya. Boys and girls, this is our home. And we say in Istanbul and
2: welcome to the Pijanas. But the local time is
1: just coming up. Two All right,
0: last. dogs, before we get to the main event and go to my interview with Goldroom, I just want to talk to you about one last thing. I want to talk to you guys a little bit about some travel tips. Um, I've been traveling with the World Surf League for the last like three or four years. I lived out of my suitcase for a good two and a half. So I know a thing or two here and there about traveling, how to travel comfortably, and how to not make it suck so much. So, Take it with a grain of salt, but here's a little bit of advice for you guys um, going out there and traveling. Firstly, what I want to stress is if you're flying a lot, you should pick an airline that you really enjoy flying with and then build frequent flyer miles with their program. What I ended up doing was I ended up flying with American Airlines and they have this thing called, and this is not an advertisement whatsoever, it was just an easy way to get platinum. I went from zero to platinum. They have this thing called the Elite Status Platinum Challenge and basically they would give you 90 days to get 10,000 miles, and then you pay something around two to $300 to get platinum status. So the rest of the year, you have platinum. That means you can go to the lounges, you can get upgraded a lot easier. Um, the lounges, you get free beers in there, but there's a couple of Darryls in there, but still free food, free beers. And you're like, this is sick and then also i think it helps with you know picking seats and all that it just makes traveling a lot easier they let you have two free bags so if you have surfboards and luggage that's all taken care of so that's the first tip i would recommend that you guys check more of that out um, i had seen recently online that they might have changed some of those things so it might not be exactly how it was when i started it but it's worth a look check out blogs like the points guy and other travel blogs that tell you about how to get rewards like that that's the first step as well couple more really quick travel tips uh back in the day my buddies Ian McPherson of Bixel Boys and Brendan Garner of Hours Living and Junkyard, they wrote a magazine called Nevermind. And I wrote them an article. I think it was called Homeless Hendo's Travel Tips or something like that. That was when I was knee deep in the drifter life. And I wrote them an article talking about travel tips. It talks about packing. It talks about knowing about the destination before you go. It talks about learning a bit of the local tongue, um, talking about befriending locals so they can show you around as well as just learning a hello or a goodbye and also never saying no to adventures that await you. So if you guys want to learn more about these travel tips that I wrote in this article, I'm going to post it on this very SoundCloud that you're listening to and I'm going to give the link to that article on their old Nevermind website. So that's a bit of travel tips for you guys. Also, if you stick around long enough, Goldroom has so graciously given us quite a few travel tips of his own. So stick around and listen to that coming right up. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the moment we've all been waiting for. Josh Legg, also known as Goldroom, is a Los Angeles based musician who has ridden many perfect waves of success. From playing international shows, including Coachella and several other festivals, to breaking the internet with his remix of Nicky and the Doves' song entitled Mother Protect, as well as releasing a plethora of golden remixes, singles, EPs, and a recent spectacular studio album entitled West of the West that has been known to break record players from nonstop play, one might say this man has the Midas touch as everything he does turns to gold. I recently met up with Josh at a taco shop in Eagle Rock and had a chat about all things under the sun. Please keep in mind that we had this chat outside so various cars, occasional babies, and quite often the wind might drop by to say hello. But don't worry, they don't stick around too long. So without further ado, here is Tacos with Gold Room. We're recording live, dog. Aloha and wasabi mates and merits frothers, ledge dogs, Daryls and Cheryl's. Welcome back to the Frothcast. Yes, <laughs> <was> so too. <laughs> yes. We are joined by none other than the legendary old mate Josh Legg, aka Goldroom, the mastermind behind all of your summer anthems and under the sheet shenanigan late night ballads. Josh, welcome, mate. How's it going? Hi, hi. Hello. It's good to be here. We are here in uh, Eagle rock. We're at senior fish, having a couple of broodlers chilling on the outside and waiting for our food to arrive.
2: true. <laughs> it's pretty epic. Great to be here.
0: Yeah. We last, uh, I think I saw you last time. It was uh splash house like two years ago. So since then you've progressed like quite a bit, you played Coachella, you had a new album come out. What have you been up to since then? True.
2: Um, man, it's kind of same old. It's making a lot of music, playing a lot of shows getting on the water as much as I can
0: a little bit of everything trying to keep my life uh balanced that's what's up I love hearing that and uh actually me and you met back in the day at the old no shirt no shoes parties true for uh those people who don't know what no shirt no shoes party was
2: the beginning yeah it's the beginning of the scene yeah uh, or the beginning of things that made my career possible, I feel like.
0: Likewise, yeah. I uh, think for a lot of people.
2: No Shirt, No Shoes was a was a party in a, sort of a small collective that was founded... Let's be real. It was mostly founded by Ian McPherson, who at the time was working for Dub Frequency. He's now Bixel Boys. Oh, yeah. He's a Bixel boy. And uh, he kind of gathered a group of his friends that were starting to get into a little bit less bangery beachy dance music started throwing parties, mostly on the rooftop of the standard. And yeah, did I, did I, did I play that party as Nightwaves?
0: Was that what happened? I think you played two of them and I looked back to find the flyer as Golderman. I think the first one was under Nightwaves and that was plastic plates. U turn myself. That was my first DJ gig with them as well. Yeah. I've
2: seen, I've seen that flyer. I've had it saved to like, to post at some point. So Nightwaves was the band that I was in before Goldroom and I was running a record label called Binary at the time and we were sort of championing this more dreamy, beachy electronic music, but this was back in 2010 when nobody seemed to be ready for that and it was, you know, years and years before anybody had even uttered the words tropical house. Right. So like the world really wasn't down for that. And then people like Ian and a few really cool people, you know, you included the No Shirt, No Shoes crew, started to sort of accept what we were doing. And Nightwaves was this band that I was in, and people started to ask us to DJ.
0: And I think that was probably one of the first five or six DJ sets we ever played. Back then it was the Magician, Aeroplane, back when Aeroplane and the Magician were together. And it was Mustang mixtapes, and it was like the beginning of... Fixed tapes, they had Soleil was a part of it, Amp Creative, the homies were a part of it. Mind Tie, that blog that we used to run was a part of it. There's so many people that were like so like influential within that whole scene. And now how it's like progressed so much, but like back in those days Oh, we got a couple tacos coming. Thank you. Thank you. Looking good, love it. <laughs> this is epic. Um, but yeah, I was saying like back in those days, I mean, what kind of drew you to like start the project that we all know and love as Gold Room. That was the start with Nightwaves. But eventually it did that help like start that.
2: Yeah. Nightwaves was a bit more like new wavy. Definitely, you know, sort of epic synth pop kind of stuff. Uh, We never really planned on even DJing. That wasn't something I ever wanted to do. Or not that it wasn't what I wanted to do. Just people started to ask us to DJ. And so I started to get into DJing because people were asking us to DJ. And then as I was doing that, I started to fall in love with everything that you're talking about, like, uh, you know, old aeroplane mixtapes and old um, anorak mixtapes and like just a lot of that kind of stuff. Over the course of like six months, I saw Aeroplane play live once as a duo. And then I saw my buddy Hemingway do a set um, in Toronto, I think and uh, yeah right here thank you so much wow Um, and over the course of seeing these two sets it was like every DJ set I'd seen for 5 years was uh, 120 BPM and up and that was it and then I saw Airplane play this set before Coachella in 2008 or 9 something like that and they didn't play a song that was above 115 BPM it was this slow sexy music and like I was at this uh, small club on the east side of LA and it was just all of these like model looking people just really loving this set and I don't know what kind of perfect storm it was that night but it like struck such a chord with me and I immediately realized that you know like this tempo and this vibe this is the kind of dance music I can really get behind. And, you know, there were a few remixes that they put out and some other artists, I think like the classics remix of Listomania comes to mind and me just thinking like, wow, if somebody could take this vibe or what Fred Falk is doing, uh, you know, and, and write original music around this, like, man, they'd really be onto something. So I started to make music like that. And, uh, the Nightwaves guys who were in my band, you know, just kind of differed a little bit from what they were hoping to do with the project. And so after a lot of self-reflection and thinking about it you know i decided to launch my own project and it made a lot more sense for me because you know I, I grew up on the water and sort of slower groovy tempos have always been something that i've been drawn to so i kind of figured out that it really represented me as a as an artist and it's kind of the perfect storm at that point
0: likewise i know you have a similar affinity for the ocean and for like sailing for being around the beach and stuff and that's kind of how i relate to like a surf vibe and that's why i started djing that kind of music yeah
2: it's funny you know i think when i'm listening music's always been an escape for me it's always like a music has always been very cinematic for me and so i'm always imagining scenarios or it always feels like a movie in some ways and you know the ocean and being on boats and being on the water has always been such an important thing to me. I, the crazy thing was, I don't think for my entire life there was really ever music that honestly encapsulated the way I feel about being on the water. And there's something incredibly unique about the ocean. That's not, that's, that's obviously not true about any other climate or uh, sort of geographical situation on earth in that, like it's completely expansive and you are at the complete will of, mother nature you know when you're there since it's so broad like the kind of music that truly fits that vibe has to be as lush you know and uh i don't feel like there was ever the kind of music that truly made me feel that way and then all of a sudden i started to hear this kind of pulsating electronic dance music that really felt as as broad as that. And it just, yeah, I, it's funny. I never, at the time I wasn't really like putting those things together. And even though Goldrums become very equated with sort of tropical vibes or whatever, that wasn't something that I set out to do at all. I just knew that I wanted to make slower dance music with good songwriting behind it. Like the rest of those vibes just kind of happened naturally.
0: Right. That's something that happened with me. It was like I just kind of started DJing just to have fun, you know? And actually like, so with the no shirt, no shoes with us, it was like you came and you played that first one. And then um, after that I became the resident. And then eventually you played one of the last ones that was like our closeout. And uh, I got to a crossroad where I was trying to decide whether I should continue to DJ or start working with the World Surf League, which is what I'm doing now. And right. they're both like equally as big of passions in my life, but music to me like I always wanted it to be about fun and always have it never become like a serious job and it seems like you've been able to maintain that like aspect throughout your whole life it seems like you're just having fun with it
2: I think you know it's I've seen so many people try and get their start in music or no not that who get their start in music and then become burned out and then they fall out of love with music and the whole reason they wanted to be a musician in the first place was because they love music, you know? And I think keeping the art that you make fun and you is such a critical part of what happens. And the crazy thing is, the further you go along and the more success that you see, the harder it is to do that because you never want to take a step backwards uh, or it feels really bad to take a step backwards, hypothetically. I always come back to this thing. I was listening to a podcast with Louis C.K. like a year ago, and he was talking about how he went on SNL and he made a rape joke on purpose because, I mean, obviously he made told the joke on purpose, but yeah. he knew that it would rub a lot of people the wrong way and that he would catch a lot of crap for it and probably lose a lot of fans. And at the time he was like, definitely the biggest comedian in the world. And he wanted, he was like, I'm too big for my own good. Like I'm not supposed to be the biggest comedian in the world. He took a step backwards on purpose by being like, this is me, this is the real me. Right. And the fact that he's willing to do that, even though he's making millions and millions of dollars a year, just always made me realize, like, I should never compromise the type of art that I want to make. And if I lose fans because of it, or if I don't get more fans, that's just because the art, like, it's not connecting with people. And that's fine. I should make what I'm going to make, and if it connects with people, then that's cool. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. But the only way I'm really ever going to be able to sleep at night right is... If I do something that I believe in. And so I got really lucky with Goldroom, I think, because I never had any aspirations of it doing well. I just wanted to make something that was like truly and authentically me, something that I didn't even have to think about. It was just going to be me. And uh, luckily, it resonated with people at the right time. And so since then, it's made all of the decisions I've had to make really easy because it's never been a question of like what would be best Business-wise, for the project or anything like that, it's always been like, well, what's me? What's right for me? And that's made things a lot easier. The other thing is trying to make sure that I keep things fresh and I and I involve the project in things that that matter to me and are exciting to me. Which is, for instance, why I do the boat tour every year. Because as we were talking about, I love being on the ocean, and uh, that even though I don't make as much money doing that, you know getting the chance to throw boat parties all summer is you know the the blending of my two passions so it works out perfectly
0: yeah that's the dream and staying true to your roots keeping it real and keeping it wasabi as i like to say that's what's up yes <laughs> i love hearing when people stick to their guns and it works out it's worked out really good for you for sure and um let's take a quick little taco break so we can i don't want your food to get cold or anything like that i'll go uh Grab some forks and napkins. Yeah, a taco that. break. We need hot sauce, too. All right, we'll get some hot sauce going and stuff. We'll take a little taco break. You guys come back after the break and join us. And <laughs> yeah, Now, a word from our sponsor. <laughs> Oi, don't forget, mates. This episode is brought to you by Soleil Bicycles. Go online to soleilbicycles.com, enter the discount code FROTH, and you're looking at 20% off. Delicious little taco break. Thanks for joining us again. <laughs> what do you got there? A little poisson crew going on. We got some ceviche. Something like that. It's delicious. Some delicious tacos, some delicious beers. Beautiful day here in Eagle Rock. Uh, how long have you been out here?
2: So, I went to college at USC, um, and then stayed on the East Side pretty much the whole time. I lived downtown for like six years and just commuted out to the to the coast to do water stuff. But then I bought a house with my wife here. On Mount Washington, uh, two years ago. Oh, so I've been like up here in the Highland Park Eagle Rock area for two years now. I yeah. love it. It's quiet, super walkable. I think it's better than Silver Lake.
0: Have you been able to find a replacement for Gold Room Bar, which was your the bar that is part partially like part of the name, right? Heavily responsible for sure. I
2: mean, I when I decided that I was gonna do the solo thing, I. I was like wrestling with it a lot and Goldroom was a place that I used to in my younger days like I'd go day drink there pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, Echo Park, Goldroom bar, Echo Park, pretty yeah. classic spot. And uh I went there alone one day when I was trying to figure this out and the the name Goldroom hadn't even like really been in my head as something that I was going to think about but I probably had like you know six Goldroom specials which is a shot of tequila and it's a tecate. Back in the day, it was three dollars. I think, I think it's That's five un- bucks now. Unheard of. I know, uh, but I think I probably had six of those on my own and <laughs> walked out, and I was like, "I'm <laughs> called Goldroom. That's what it is." Good on you. So I just held me. it. I don't know. Like I'm not from Los Angeles, but LA has always been, you know, like a pretty romantic place in my mind, and I still feel that way about it, even though I've been out here for ten years now, and I wanted to like sort of I know that a lot of my music's inspired by all of the culture and time that I've spent out here and I wanted to pay homage to that with the name. And so I was I was sort of thinking like I wanted to name the project after maybe a street in LA or a neighborhood or a or a or an establishment and ended up Gold Room just seemed to make sense it's the other thing about LA is it like feels like one giant golden room, you know? In a lot of ways like not only is it like this land of promise that everybody thinks you know anything can happen here and you can make it big or whatever but also like the thing i love about southern california and the whole southwest really is it's a desert and it's just pounded on by sun all year round so it's like burnt to a crisp everything is dry and dusty and there's like a a grit to especially a lot of la there's a grit to la that that people don't really know about and you know most the stuff that most people who are in L.A. really love is they love, like, you know, crispy Weber grills with carne asada on it and drinking, like, Coronas that they bought at the at the store, you know, on the corner, or, like, roof parties and stuff like that, and it's it's not really all about, you know, like, pool parties at the Mondrian, right? Like, that's... Hollywood. Yeah, it's not that. about, like... A lot of it's not about that, and for me... And so, Golden kind of... Uh, wrapped everything up into a nice little like package to to explain you know what i love about being here and all the influences that made me start the project
0: yeah and i can see that in your songs and your music videos and your mixtapes and then you had a film where um it was the full feature
2: yeah so uh i did a collaboration with snapchat where we like we took four songs and put them together into an EP. And then we did four music videos for the four songs and put together. They were a short film.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that's where I was watching that recently and I really connected with that because you go from, it starts like there's a house or it starts at high school and then there's like a party and then it goes downtown and then it goes to the ocean to sailing and all that and incorporates kind of like my whole lifestyle as well uh, that I've had out here in LA from, living downtown for a while, knowing what that's like. And now that I'm on the west side, right by the marina, I connected really strongly with boats and being in the ocean and all that. So like a lot of your videos and songs and like mixtapes as well, they all connect with me and the LA experience for sure.
2: Yeah, I try and tell a little bit of a different story and I feel like even today, I, because DJing is like, the apex of DJing is still like, playing festival sets for thousands of people all of these artists even if they're start out making mellower music or if some of their music is mellower a lot of times if you actually hear them DJ they end up sort of going against the, that and they get way heavier and they think that they have to play aggressive music because the bigger the crowd the more aggressive the music has to be and I, you know I really I don't believe that at all <laughs> and you know I've always sort of stuck to my guns about you know wanting to put forward wanting to tell a story with my music and the story that I normally you know think of or like to tell is you know that kind of adventure the adventure of being around LA and doing all the things that you talked about
0: yeah and you've played some of those festivals though right I have you know it's like
2: I I tend when I'm DJing for a lot of people especially at like a an EDM festival I tend I tend to Go in the opposite direction, so I'll be like even mellower, maybe or something like that. Yeah. I just feel like I don't want somebody thinks I'm playing I'm I'm boring or like I'm playing lame music. Like I don't want that person as a fan anyway. And if I clear a dance floor, but ten people stay there and love it, like those are the ten fans I want anyway. Yeah. The funny thing is that rarely happens because if you go to like an EDM festival, I think anybody can that's been to something like that can attest like all the DJs are playing the same music, and you hear the same songs over and over again, and it's kind of disappointing in that way, like they're playing the most popular music at the moment, but I don't know, I like to hear like eclectic music, and that's why I love, that's why I've always loved going to Coachella, because they they do such a good job of booking so many different bands and so many different vibes. So when I'm in that situation, and I hear everybody playing the same stuff over and over again, it just makes me want to be a breath of fresh air, and even if I lose some people because of that, it's probably better.
0: Do you ever remember when you got first featured on a magic tape or Legasta at all? I do definitely remember the magician
2: jumping on pretty early, and it was I did a remix for. Um, I guess it was probably my um, my remix for Nikki and the Dove was yeah. the first time, and it was either there were like three or four straight. Magic Tapes where he put my song because I was always making this really slow music yeah and he was still DJing a little bit faster tempos so he led off like three out of four mixtapes with stuff that I had done and it was like a huge a huge help for me I don't know if it would mean anything today or if people care about that kind of stuff but like yeah. in 2012 like that was a pretty big deal for, for me and especially the Nicky and the Dove remix like the same week uh the magician and airplane and uh i think mustang actually like all used that remix in mixtapes and it like really gave that song a boost and kind of made me realize like that stuff started to make me realize maybe gold Room could could do a little bit more than i had previously thought
0: yeah i was actually going to ask you about that song that song for me is like a back pocket fire starter whenever I know that I need to get the vibe going on the dance floor boom I throw that in there and the vibe start going and that song like was garnered a couple million plays on YouTube couple on SoundCloud it's up there it's very popular do you think that that song was like pretty pivotal in your career like you said kind of getting you noticed at that time
2: yeah I mean I feel like if it wasn't that it might have been something else or something like that like I I've never Unlike there, I think there's a lot of other artists that like really have a song or that that is the majority of what they're known for or something like that. And for me, I, I've never really felt that it's always been a uh, like a whole bunch of small milestones. I've been like climbing up a a short climbing up a slightly sloped hill my whole career. I feel like, yeah. uh, but but that song was definitely like a pretty big moment and it you know it's definitely something that I've continued to be I've continued to play to this day I still always play it and um it resonated with people in a pretty cool way so yeah it was a big deal and and you know it started with those guys putting those songs in their mixtape and I remember getting like it was the first time ever in my life I'd gotten you know text messages of being like dude I'm I'm at this show and like I'm watching Aeroplane DJ and he just played your song. Like, that was crazy to me. That's epic, yeah. So uh, it really made me realize the power of a remix. And, uh, yeah, it was exciting. You know, like I said, it wasn't... I can't, like, point at that and say, like, that's what changed or that's what made things happen. I, Like I said, I think it's been a, a five-year fight of, like, small victories adding up. But that was definitely, you know... I'll probably... I'll never stop... I'll probably never stop DJing that song.
0: Yeah, me neither. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking, like, I know I was looking back at my iTunes and some of the first songs of yours that I have are like Morgan's Bay, uh, Nights and Nantes, and City Girls. Sure. And those feature your vocals, right? You wrote those. Yeah. So did you start with those? or those some of your first releases? Or did you start with remixes?
2: No. Um, I launched the project with... I didn't call it an EP. I didn't really know... I didn't have any plan. I wasn't releasing anything commercially. I just... I was hoping... I was, like, hoping to come DJ, you know, pool parties in L.A. And I wanted to be able to do that on my own. So, like... I don't know. I had no real commercial plan or whatever. But... I started by releasing the three songs that you mentioned. Morgans Bay, Nights and Knotts, and uh, City Girls. And those were three songs that I had made on my own, you know, for, well, yeah, I had, you know, written all the vocals and recorded and worked with a couple friends on them and, uh, and yeah, that's sort of where it started. I don't think I had done any remixes at that point. And I also made my first mixtape at that point too. So I put the songs out and then a couple weeks later, I think I put the first mixtape out and I had some friends at blogs that, uh, that I emailed and told them about. And that was kind of where it started. And not long after, you know, nobody was reaching out to me to remix, but I reached out to Penguin Prison, and I reached out to Poolside, and I reached out to Gigamesh, and was able to do my first three remixes for those guys.
0: Was that fair warning, do you believe,
2: and... Red Light was Red the name Light, of the yeah. GigaMesh song. Yeah. I actually think that maybe that GigaMesh remix was the first one that the Magician used.
0: Yeah, I remember that, I was gonna say.
2: So, then a little bit later, you know, blogs were starting to pay attention to what I was doing, and I think, like, maybe I was getting some SoundCloud plays or whatever, which at the time probably meant, like, you know, a couple thousand or something like that. And <laughs> and then the, the people at, from Nicky and the Devs management team hit me up to ask if I wanted to remix that song, and I said yes, and that started to take me down that road. But pretty much right away, I knew I just wanted to make mixtapes a few times a year. And uh, I had like five more songs done that I knew I wanted to put out. 15 was one of them. I had 15 done before I even launched the project. Really? Yeah. Well, uh, done with my own vocals.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. And then who did you bring on for 15? So that's Chella. Yeah. Who's like one
2: of my musical soulmates. My manager at the time, Jerry, introduced me to her. Uh, She was writing music in Australia, she's from Perth, and uh, I got a demo from her and she just had this beautiful, airy voice that was just perfect for the song, so uh, we, you know, I always loved the song and I thought it could be something good, but my vocal performance just wasn't right for it, and so she sent over some vocals back and I put the song together, and that was, you know, I put Angelus out. Uh, in the interim and wrapped those four songs together into an E P. Yeah. So that was what became the Angelus E P. The next thing that came out was Fifteen. And Fifteen was really the song more than almost any other song that really started to put things on, on the map. And I didn't think that was gonna happen. I loved the song and believed in it, but like that's not a dance song. That was a pretty It was a a bit of a departure from for Goldroom at the, at that time. So I wasn't expecting much but it really resonated with some people and got me excited about, you know, the future at that point.
0: Yeah, that song seems super like euphoric and ethereal. I almost put it like in the same vibe as like touch sensitive pizza guy. You know, it's super pensive. It makes you think like it you almost feel like you're floating when you hear that song. So where does where did that come from for that song 15? It seems like it goes really well with the ocean. It also goes really well with creating cinematic images it's cruisy and it's like just an overall really good vibe where does that come from
2: um well i was listening to a lot of chill wave at the time so guys like neon indian and and washed out i was really into that kind of vibe and so creating sort of like a a washy atmosphere that you could like Have this blanket sort of fall over you and get wrapped up in, and feel like you were like floating in a warm pool or something. Yeah, uh, is was something I was really. I mean, I still am, I guess, but that was something I was thinking a lot about because you know most dance music it has to be crisper, you know, in order to punch it all.
0: Yeah, four to the floor or out the door.
2: But I I wrote uh, I wrote fifteen on acoustic guitar. Like I have a demo. I wrote that in an hour on acoustic guitar. You know, it's just me and my guitar in the old Binary office, and I finished it and had a demo of it that night. And then, uh, you know, immediately I sort of realized the tempo was slow, and I had been thinking about these sort of like washy, pulsy vibes production-wise. And so I just started to go down that path, and it felt like it worked well. I don't know, I didn't have any really specific references or like specific musical reference points. There, it just was what fit right with the song.
0: That's pretty rad that you wrote that within an hour. I used to, when I was younger, I play guitar as well. So I started when I was a grom You started when you were ten,
2: is that right? Or like the first songs I really remember writing were after I picked up a guitar and convinced my parents to let me get a guitar instead of the cello. And yeah, I guess that was around when i uh, around ten years old. I started. It, I didn't really even know what I was doing. I just liked. I just liked doing. It. I thought it was cool.
0: Yeah. Likewise, I think I started when I was 15 and. I would lock myself in the room and I had a Mexican Fender Strat and an ultimate chorus. I would just play all day. And I could write songs back then, like you said, within an hour or so, but nowadays I can't write a song. It takes me a couple days. So have you found that that process of songwriting, I guess the creative process where something like hits you, you gotta sit down and write it down. Does that come and go as you get older? Was it easier when you were younger or?
2: There's so much more baggage like emotional and mental baggage uh, that it like sets up a lot of roadblocks for you to be able to go from a piece of inspiration all the way to writing a whole song. Because you're going to second guess every decision that you're making along the way. Is this line right? <clears throat> Is this melody cool? Wait, do I recognize this chord pattern? Has somebody else used it? You know, all these little things are like roadblocks. I pretty rarely like set out to write Goldroom songs on guitar anymore so they happen a lot of different ways you know sometimes if i'm if i'm writing with somebody else i will sit down with an acoustic and we'll just try and bang a song out and then take that the same way i did with 15 and put it into logic and record from there uh for the most part though it's like me at the computer and i'm at the keyboard and i'm you know i'm or i'm out or i'm at a synth and i'm playing some chords and trying to come up with vocal melodies and the thing is I do always come back to acoustic guitar at the end of the day and I'll always go back there because I for whatever reason I do still have this like chip in my brain where I can sit down and just write a song if I need to and it's probably gonna suck and it usually sucks and I never do anything with it but if I have to like give me an acoustic guitar and I'm gonna like write something uh, and so I always try and do that. It's like a goal of mine in life to get to a point where I have a morning routine that includes, like, maybe I don't journal. Maybe I write a song for an hour. I would like to do that in my life. I'm not quite disciplined enough to say that I'm like doing that, but I'd love to be able to do that. And like I said, you know, if I write a hundred of those, which I know I, I'm, I know I have, uh, you know, ninety-five or ninety-nine of them are gonna suck, and I'm not gonna play for anybody ever. But it's like exercise, right? And you're exercising the right muscles. And I pretty firmly believe that that helps me uh, when I'm in a studio with a few other people and we're in a nice studio and we're like trying to figure out what the second verse of this song is or what we're going to do in the bridge. Like I think all that work I put in on my own helps me make better decisions then.
0: Kind of on the lines of talking about the creative process, do you have a ritual that you do before you play at all? Like, honestly, before I used to DJ back in the day, I would have this grand, like, idea of what it was going to be like. There's going to be a thousand people there. It's going to be the most important set of my life because there's going to be other DJs who are going to judge me. And so I would get nerve turds, like, yeah. before I'd have to... You know what a nerve turd is, right? Of course. <laughs> you got to go take a douche Until I finally realized, you know what, like, my expectations were never... The reality was never as grand as my expectations. Like nobody's going to care if you don't mix this song right or if you mix out a key and this and that. So on that subject, do you have any rituals that you do now when you play bigger things like Coachella or even smaller venues, does it matter?
2: So it really depends cuz you know, I half the time with Goldner and my DJ and half the time I play with a live band. So when we play with the live band, it's like a full-on it's not one of these like disclosurey, you know, two-man. Like we're a band. We have drums and bass and guitar, two keyboards and a an African hand percussionist. So uh, when we play live, I get real nervous, really nervous, because there's so much that can go wrong, and I have to connect with the audience in a whole different way because I'm up there with a the guitar, and and my keyboards and a microphone and I've gotta like sing these songs to these people and make that connection. And uh, that's, you know, pretty nervous. Like we don't, I don't get to improvise in the same way that I do within a DJ set. Like our set is planned out and there's just, it's a lot that goes into that. So it's, you know, it's scary and I always get really nervous. I used to for DJ sets a lot. Um, when we're playing live, like my routine is very much like, sort of like an athlete maybe, like, I'm, I'm drinking tea, I'm doing vocal warmups, I'm going over the set list in my head, I'm tuning my guitar, talking to my bandmates, thinking about all this different stuff. So like, you know, like taking a shot at just the right time, yeah. all this, you know?
0: But not too many, right? Right, exactly, like just, just the right amount, you know? Yeah. A couple like, beers, I never wanna go over like three beers during a set.
2: And for me it's like a glass of wine, then one shot of JMO 10 minutes before we play, and then I bring a bottle of wine on stage. Yeah and I'm just like yeah Yeah. but when I'm DJing at this point you know I've been playing I I play like uh, like 50 shows a year for the last 6 years oh man so you know I like to I like to prepare differently for every set I think about what kind of what the crowd is you know what time of day am I playing what's the club's vibe what was the guy before me playing or who else is playing with me on the bill and before I go to the club, I'm definitely putting together, you know, various playlists and thinking about, you know, what's the right way to start? What's the right way to end? And, you know, because um, I know that I'm getting booked because people want to hear what I'm doing or want to hear Golder music. So I always know that I have like five or six tent poles that I got to get between. It's just figuring out how to get from point A to point B to point C to point D. And so I'm always thinking about that, but then I show up to the club and I'm just trying to like... My routine is really just sort of absorbing and observing the club and the vibe and adjusting what I think is right for that. Because really, my goal is to try and do something very different than what that club normally gets. And I wanna tell a story over the course of an hour. I'm not, I don't wanna hit them over the head in the first 10 minutes. I wanna figure out how I can get from the beginning to the end and really tell a story that the people who are willing to stick around for the whole two hours or whatever uh, I want them to walk away being like, oh, wow, that's, that's way different than anything that I've heard here
0: in months. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had the nightmare. I'm sure you can tell us a lot of those stories where the music just completely cuts out. I've got a sure-fired way to make sure... like. I have gone through this so many times that I would just be devastated when the music just goes out. Back in the day, I would just like start shitting myself. But now I've got a surefire way. I just start singing happy birthday when that happens. When the music goes out, I just start singing happy birthday. (laughs) Everybody thinks that it was on purpose. So the whole crowd starts singing happy birthday. That gives you about two minutes to set up a next song or figure out what the hell happened wrong. That's pretty amazing.
2: Yeah. I've never seen anybody do that, but it makes perfect sense. They would work.
0: Yeah. So you got to keep that in your back pocket if that ever happens.
2: The biggest crowd that I ever DJed for was in Mexico City at uh, a festival, and I didn't expect. I knew I was playing on the main stage, but I didn't think there were going to be that many people there. There were fifty thousand people there, so it was like main stage of Coachella size number of people.
0: Yeah. And Holy it, mierda. Yeah,
2: and in the middle, in the middle of my set, I hit like just I guess just cuz the way my arm works like sometimes my forearm will hit the pause button on the right CDJ yeah. like once every 20 sets or something oh, like that no. and this happened to me in front of that many people and so like I'm like so far away from everybody that I'm not seeing anyone's faces so I'm not really worried about what the crowd thinks but there were like two stage guys that like rushed up behind me and were like are you cool is everything okay and I was like yeah no it's all good I had like been playing enough at that point that it was okay but I mean, that was embarrassing. That was a lot of people.
0: Yeah, that's never fun, but that's a good way to kind of get out of it. And
2: Everybody wipes out on a surfboard.
0: True that. you got to be vulnerable to live. You want to take these chances. It also proves that you're doing it for real. Right. Half the people that play perfect DJ
2: sets, maybe they're not DJing, you know? Yeah,
0: I've seen quite a few pre-recorded ones back in my day, and I mean, for different reasons, I understand why you have to do that, especially if you have pyrotechnics or dancers and all these things that have to hit a mark. I actually record all my mixes like live. I've never done one on Ableton, not that there's anything wrong with people who do that. But I figure when you're doing a mixtape, do it live. It's a way for you to practice and get better and progress. Uh, Doing a mixtape on CDJs is kind of next level because you're bound to mess up. But uh, what about your mixtape process? Do you do it in Ableton? Do you do it live? Do you
2: I'm probably like the most hardcore producer version of that that you'll meet. Like, I spend days putting together a giant playlist, and then I spend like two entire days building, and I do it in Ableton, and there's like a crazy amount of automation, and I add extra drums, and I'm making sure that especially uh, melodically, key-wise, that the transitions are like, like the two producers who made the songs, like were in the same room when they made it because they wanted them to work. To, like that's what I want it to sound and feel like. Like you really have no idea where things start and where things end. And uh, I don't know. I just I've always gotten a real kick out of doing that. And there's so much like, I I, I figure like you see people. DJ on CDJs so much anyway that you start to get used to what those filters sound like and what you know everybody's got their tricks with transitions and uh, I don't ever get to use all of the tricks that I have you know at my disposal with Ableton when I'm DJing with CDJs so when I get to make my mixtapes I try to do that. I don't know I take a lot of like pleasure I take a lot of uh, pleasure in that process
0: yeah, I've noticed that. I've noticed that every time you put out a mixtape, it's thoroughly thought out. It's so well handcrafted, and you're one of the like few DJ producers that I know and have noticed that I actually put so much care and emphasis into everything you do, and your mixtapes included. Some people, a lot of
2: different artists do it for a lot of different reasons, mm-hmm. and it just happens to be for me that what I'm trying to do is like really make a sixty minute story that that'll still sound good five years from now. Yeah. There's a lot of DJs that are like, I'm trying to introduce you to the coolest new music. Yeah. And that serves a really important purpose. Like, that's dope for them. Like the magician tapes are still that way, right?
0: Yeah. Exclusive.
2: For me I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to give you exclusive music. I'm not trying to introduce you to the freshest stuff. Hopefully I'm introducing you to the dopest the dopest stuff from the last couple of years or whatever. Right. Hopefully stuff you haven't heard of before, but more importantly, it's 60 minutes of like really carefully crafted songs that are blended together in a way that make it so that you can put this thing on and it, hopefully
0: it can really soundtrack
2: something special
0: for you. For me especially, West of the West was something that I could put on, put my headphones on. I was in Europe at the time, I was in Portugal and uh, I was going through some real-world problems, whatever, you know, just stuff with life, and I would zone out, put on your mix, or actually put on that album, West of the West, and go for a run, play the whole thing. By the time it was over, I had this form of escape. I, like, blacked out. I'm like, what the heck just happened in the last half hour, hour, however long that album is, and did you kind of have that in mind when you were creating that album?
2: No, I mean, that's great to hear. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. That means a lot. Like, that's the highest order of compliment that I can think of, because... Music was, you know, when I was a kid, music was, was my escape. That was, like, my way, you know, if I, like, thought that school was shitty or was getting bullied or, like, whatever, uh, music was always my way of, like, taking me somewhere else, like, giving me something else. And the kind of music that I was always drawn to always is conducive towards that kind of escape, like, it's... Uh, You know, it's stuff that where you can usually like draw parallels to your own life lyrically or sonically and, you know, make it your own and really like create an escape. And so I've always taken that approach uh, to making music as well. You know, like I said earlier, I want it to be cinematic. I want it to be something that feels like it could change your life or soundtrack something special. And yeah it's absolutely a goal you know I want I want it to be able to take people to
0: somewhere nicer okay kind of that album it touches a lot on like love, heartbreak um, a lot of really meaningful but there's also some lot of fun songs in there as well like uh, underwater is I like to play that in like the intro of a lot of my DJ sets so yeah. how were you able to create such like a well-encompassed album
2: Definitely I mean the record on the whole like it's, you know, West of the West, first of all, the, the title is in reference to Teddy Roosevelt called called California West of the West. So like, you know, the West being like the Wild West, but like if you can get past the Wild West, there's this special place called California. It's West of the West. And then for me also, it, it's about uh, the Pacific Ocean. You know, West of the West to me is the Pacific Ocean, um, which has been a huge inspiration to me. But the secondary meaning behind the album title is purely just the idea that it's a direction of the compass and um, West of the West is just like uh, sort of a signifier of like me being in motion and I feel like for the last couple years I've just been in constant motion most of the time away from my home away from my family away from my friends and uh, touring is wonderful and I love it and I wouldn't change a thing about it, but it also makes, you know, being away from everything that you love really hard and it hurts those things. Yeah. And so like, the record is completely and one hundred percent like about the issue the like issues that come from doing what you love and maybe that hurting another part of your life and how like how do you deal with those things, you know, like underwater is a that's a pool party jam, like that's what I get to do. That song sounds like my DJ sets to me and that's how it feels to me. So like, that's a song that kind of shows what that is like, but you know, it's paired with a song like breaks, which is a song that is just pretty openly about the, about how hard it is to be away from somebody that you love and like the breaks that go at the good breaks and it's all the different kinds of breaks that you get in life. You know, the, the record is really about me feeling guilty about being on the road and but also about how much i love it and what it's like to be traveling and you know how that has made me feel you know being pretty much in motion consistently for the last 3 years you know the the the, the record was written on on the road and i think you can hear that
0: on that subject being on the road all the time for tour uh likewise i'm on the road all the time i want to give my viewers or my listeners some insight onto like some travel tips is there certain things that have been super beneficial in traveling with you? Any kind of tips like gear that you bring or like doing frequent flyer miles or any kind of anything about travel tips that you can give out? This just, this
2: sounds like such first world problems. I hate talking about this kind of stuff. If you travel a lot, like, and this is even if you travel 25,000 miles a year. So like for reference, that's, uh, you know, let's say that's five trips cross country if you're in the U S so even if you only travel that little, Like, I really think joining one airline, and it has to be one of the major carriers, so like you're either going to pick American or Delta or United, which I know for most like rookie travelers, you're going to like throw up hearing those two names because you usually think those airlines suck. I promise you they actually don't as much as you think, but you pick whichever one, the city that you're in, you know, whichever city, whichever airline has a hub in your city should pick that one and if you can even get to 25,000 miles a year it can make a big difference because uh, you can get you know uh, bags for free and get on the flights earlier and for me the thing that's changed everything is not having to hang out in airports yeah Yeah, I don't know I just like some of the things that I've done touring you know when I used to go far like to South America or Europe or Asia I would treat it like it was a like I was going to like texas for a show like i'd show up the morning of the show and then go play the show or whatever and i realized you know when you travel for 24 hours to go somewhere you you can't be expected to just turn around and perform at a high level and if like an athlete wouldn't why would i right so um now i'll always take an extra day and you know i take jet lag super seriously and if i get somewhere i'm staying up as late as i can that first night I'm trying to get, you know, on that sleep schedule as soon as I can. And uh, I don't know. The, you know, the, like there's only one thing that really matters when you're traveling. Water. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you need to drink lots
0: of water if
2: you're flying around. But if yeah. you...
0: That is the key element I've noticed. Like, especially if you're boozing on the plane and you're not drinking water, you're done. Uh, sick. Thanks for that little travel. Tip there, and you got time for a couple quick fire? Questions yeah, let's, let's do it. All right, sick. So this time I crowdsourced a couple questions on my Facebook. I feel like a couple of people figured out who it was. A couple people figured it out. <laughs> yeah, a couple out there. But uh, so this was them going into it thinking that if you could talk to, you know, a DJ, band, artist within the indie dance realm here's some questions that they had and little lo and behold did they know that they were speaking with Goldroom, the ledge dog so here's the first question we got uh my buddy writes if you're stuck on a deserted island forever what's the one thing that you could listen to day in day out whether it be a track an album
2: oh man you know i hate that i i like
0: really hate that question
2: <laughs> it's like the hardest question in the world i don't really have a good answer I'll probably uh, let's just say Tom Petty full moon fever like that is my uh, I say that that's my favorite album I don't really agree that that that's what I would want on a desert island though which is weird now that I think about that the truth is I'd rather have like an acoustic guitar yeah that would be a more meaningful piece of equipment for me to be sane. I don't if it's the greatest if it was the greatest album of all time wouldn't you go just completely insane listening to it over and over again Yeah
0: If um, you have a guitar then you can play any song that you want to hear you can do a cover or play that whole album front to back if you want in your own way True I'm just going to
2: say it's it's not the album but the song Purple Rain by Prince like, I'll it. listen to that song every day
0: Thank you for that one What about weirdest show or travel experience
2: I've had a lot of weird I've definitely had a lot of weird stuff happen in in my travels but um, I don't know what comes to mind is last year on my boat tour in Vancouver uh, I finished my set and I was like walking to the front of the boat and I noticed this girl just bawling on the side of the boat so I went over and I noticed nobody was talking to her so I went over and tried to ask her if she was okay but she wouldn't say anything to me She was just crying and like looking out into the water and I was really confused so her friend walks over and is like, don't, don't talk to her. And I was like, Oh, my bad. I was just, she wanted to see if she was okay. Like, I want to make sure everybody's having a good time. And she said, your boyfriend just jumped off the boat. Oh my God. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> this was like in June, but more importantly in Vancouver, like the water is very cold. Right. We're dealing with serious hypothermia risks. And, uh, so I started talking to some other people and this actually happened. Like they got into a fight cause he was dancing with another girl. And, and then eventually he just like gave her his phone and just jumped. Oh my God. We were, it sounds a little worse than what it actually was because when this happened we were like a couple hundred yards from land and I guess we could have gotten there but I was like, did the captain see? I, Cause I know like at least in the US like somebody falls overboard, it's a really big deal. You stop what you're doing and you go pick that person up. It's like what you learn on day one of, of how to handle a boat. And, uh, but no, the captain saw this shit happen and he was just like, fuck it. We're going to keep going. Oh my God. So that whatever was, happened, did they? I have no idea. Yeah. To this day, I have no <laughs> idea if the guy lived or died. Oh man. But well, he was the first casualty of the
0: Goldroom High Seas tour. That is weird and hectic. And I hope, yeah, I hope. That's just the
2: first thing that right. came to mind. I've had a lot of weird stuff happen, but I don't know. Somebody jumping off the boat's pretty. pretty yeah, that's
0: there. gnarly, man. I hope he's all right. And. Yeah, shout out to that guy. Yeah. Come
2: shout back out. this year. Let me shout know if you're out, okay.
0: Let us know what's up. Hopefully, uh... Hopefully you didn't get eaten by sharks. Yeah, and hopefully you and your girl work things out after that, so... Oh, that wasn't uh, what I
2: was thinking. Don't get back... It's not going to work out for you guys. Early. Find somebody new.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, in a different realm, my buddy, his name is Hesaj. He does raps every now and then. He wants to know if you would collaborate with him. He does, uh... He's a little ledge dog down in La Jolla, San Diego. He wants to know if you want to collaborate on a rap tune at some point.
2: I like La Jolla. Shout out to La Jolla. Closer to the border. Better breakfast burritos than up here. Oh, yeah. Um, hey, do I want to hear him rapping on one of my tracks? The answer to that question is a big yes. Yeah, Two it. thumbs all the way up. I want to hear that. Um, am I inviting you up to my studio to like make a track? Maybe not. <laughs> right. Well, let's, so, let's
0: baby steps. Right. Maybe Hasaj, you get one of his songs, maybe an instrumental, rap over it, and send it over to Goldroom. He'll let you know what he thinks. How about that for collaboration?
2: The, my song Till Sunrise, I actually, that was originally a beat that I made for a female rapper who also sings. And I really love her voice, and I wanted her to do something on top of that beat she never did. And so I ended up writing this other song. I've always been open to the, like, I love hip hop. You know, we're, we're all kids of the nineties. Like I think we all grew up loving hip hop. So I'm not scared of it.
0: And here's another question you might be able to figure out who it's from. Maybe one of our buds, it says, would Boston be willing to trade the number one pick in the NBA draft?
2: Uh, the answer to that question is of course we'd be willing to I'm a sports fan. That comes from Ian, right? Yeah.
0: Bixel dog. Ian Bixel. Uh,
2: Yeah, there's a good answer to this question. And he asked that question before Isaiah Thomas got hurt, which is important because he's our best player. But the answer to that question is, of course, we'd be willing to trade it under the right circumstances. I don't think that we will. We'll be picking Fultz, who is the number one prospect, and we're going to keep him, and it's going to be great.
0: It's all up with Fultz. I don't know a single thing about sports these days, but I like what I'm hearing. So good on you, Fultz. Good on you, Boston. <laughs> Go Celtics. Yes. All right, here's another one from Old Mate Tropical. He says, would you rather wear a permanent life jacket or a permanent helmet for the rest of your life?
2: Does permanent mean like it literally never comes off? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. So it's not like in the right circumstance. I mean, it would definitely be a life jacket. I like life jackets. Yeah, I've worn do. a lot of life jackets in my life. And on yeah. top of that, yeah, I don't know, there's the, a lot Would people. People would, I think, immediately like me better if I was wearing a life jacket at all times. Yeah. And I think people would like me worse if I was wearing a helmet.
0: If you're wearing a helmet, you could be going to roller derby or some random shit. There's a that. lot of
2: reasons why people need to wear helmets. Most of them are bad. Almost every reason why you need to wear a life jacket is a good one.
0: You heard it, Dave. Life jacket, mate. What, in your opinion, makes a great party? People. Simple as that. You don't, you don't even need music for a party, right?
2: Like, everyone always thinks, like, oh, it's all about, like, this or that or the setting or whatever. It's not. It's good people. That's it. You get the right group of people together, you can turn a basement or a beach or a dirt field into a, into a good party. You don't need booze. You don't need drugs. You just need the right people and the right, yeah. Just need the right people, some time.
0: That was 100% correct. I agree. I think that's what was special about that. No shirt, no shoes was the vibe of the people. We were all like-minded individuals. We liked the same type of music. We liked beach vibes. We liked to wear tropical shirts and we liked to have fun together and have a couple micheladas or mojitos. You know. Man, those standard mojitos. It's been too long. They'll get you. Actually, I'm gonna get the boys on the desk, the no shirt, no shoes boys on the desk again soon, and. Uh, I think a reunion tour is definitely in order
2: sounds wonderful i'll be there
0: if that's the case yeah you're coming we get old mate vice rizzler austin to come down that was his first
2: show too it was a no shirt no shoes
0: that was like one of my best sets actually of all time he played he killed it and then i played and the place was just going off but i remember austin got iced that day and ended up meeting (laughs) up with him and i was like this kid is hilarious he was i'm loving this vibe so we got to get all the buddies back together on that one Uh, last question crowdsourced is Kaigo the true original pioneer of tropical house as the internet so graciously claims probably (laughs) he can have it yeah
2: Um, yeah sure I don't know (laughs) tropical house is like I I don't I don't have much to really say about that you know like we've we've used the same uh, some of my my friends or us or whatever like we've we've used a lot of some of the same I- imagery and we're all playing dance music, I suppose. Yeah. But that's kind of where the stuff stops. Like a lot of what actual tropical houses, is, which is like a whole bunch of Norwegian producers making, uh, EDM, like mellow EDM that happens to have like flute, like funny flute lines <laughs> in the chorus. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. Like yeah. I, that is what it is. Yeah. Uh, I don't find a lot in common, like, that music has more in common with Avicii than it does with any kind of music that I like. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's, there's no groove, there's no funk in it. And I'm not saying that, I'm not even, I'm not talking shit on it, that there just isn't. And, you know, for me, like, I like disco. Disco has a lot of funk in it. Disco has a lot of groove in it. And, uh... So I don't, yeah, I don't find a lot in common with that. And nobody ever called my music Tropical House or anybody else like Viceroy or Poolside or like, nobody was ever calling our music Tropical House. So when Kygo started to roll down that road and he and Thomas Jack or whatever like called it Tropical House, that's cool.
0: Your sound is like super all encompassing. Same with all the boys that went and played the No Shirt No Shoes. I mean, not like we invented the wheel or anything, but there's just something really special with what we had and not that like, there's anything wrong with what those guys are doing at all. That genre, that style of music, yeah, but I agree. The core foundation of what I got involved with music was disco. With There's meaning, there's funk, there's groove, and it has, like, a feeling to it.
2: And for what it's worth, I don't have a problem saying this either. I'm sure that a lot of the guys who started to make tropical house music were influenced by parties that they were seeing in L.A. or people that were making that kind of music in L.A., they just altered it and made it like more mass marketable and they yeah. did a really smart, really great job doing it.
0: Yeah, that's true. It's more accessible for the average show. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, um, can't thank you enough, mate, for coming down and for your time. And I, I can't do- thank
2: You came east. You came very far east, much further east than normal. Your east, east of the 405 is probably weird for you.
0: East of the East, man. <laughs> New album by Hendo, East of the East, coming out. Love it. Uh, had a great time. Great tacos. Great catching up. And if you want to plug like any upcoming shows, as well as I know you got the Global Bright Light Foundation that you're doing, that is super cool. I'm really into that. If you want to talk about that. And any kind of links or upcoming events and stuff that we should be aware of, go ahead and sure. talk about it Sure. I guess I'll now. mention
2: the Global Bright Light thing first. You know, One of the ways that I try to... Um, give back. You know, I'm lucky enough that I get to tour around and get to play music for a living. Uh, You know, I try to give back when I can. And right now I've partnered with the Global Bright Light Foundation. What they do is they provide solar uh, energy solutions for third world countries for people that don't have uh, electricity. And what's crazy is all these communities, especially they focus in Central America. A lot of these communities spend a huge percentage of their income just on candles and it ends up like really hurting their ability to communicate and work and hurts their bottom line really so what they do is they raise money and they go down with these really very cool solar lanterns that get charged during the day and then they can use them at night and they last for like 10 years and they have usb plugs too so The families can plug their cell phones in, so they don't... A lot of times they have to go to, like, different towns or the city just to charge their cell phones so they can talk to loved ones. So this way they don't. Anyway, I'm raising uh, $5,600 to light an entire village in Guatemala. And uh, we're trying to raise that money in the next month or so. So you can go to globalbrightlight.org slash goldroom to donate there. And what I'm doing to try and help is trying to get the word out, but I'm also donating goldroom merch and... tickets to my upcoming boat tour as well as a grand prize winner. I'm actually going to make a mixtape, uh, like custom for them. Um, so spend a couple of days making a, a mixtape that's yeah. Customized for somebody. So that's awesome. it's pretty exciting. So I'm trying to give back a little bit that way. I guess that's a good transition into like, as Hendo and I've been talking about, you know, the ocean being our passion. Uh, I'm doing my, third annual boat tour this year, which is basically, I go around the country and I'm actually ending on Yacht Week in Croatia this year. Oh, Uh, sick. I'm uh, basically, all of the parties are on boats. They're day parties on like harbor cruises. It's four hours where we get to go out and I play like special sets. And uh, yeah, it's usually like the best parties, you know, uh, out on the water. Sort of a blending of my two passions, but we're kicking that off next weekend in LA uh, on June 3rd. And that goes all summer, all across the country. And yeah, like I said, we're ending in Croatia during Yacht Week uh, in September. So pretty excited for that. Um, I don't know, besides that, if you're curious to listen to music, I just put out a new song called Spread Love. And you can hear music and check out tickets and stuff like that at goldroom.la. I'm also just uh, at goldroom on all like social media.
0: Awesome. You heard it there. First mates and merts, the legend of Goldroom Josh Leg. Can't thank you enough. Go check out his socials, check out my write-up. I'm going to be plugging all those links in the write-up and on my socials as well. So, uh stick around mates, but for now we're going to say adiós, Aloha and wasabi to Josh Goldroom and thanks for coming out, mate. We'll see you again. Yes sir, thank you. Cheers. Well, shit, mates, that's all the time we have today and I better start packing for Fiji as I'm hopping on a plane pretty soon here. Thanks again to Goldroom for the chat and thanks to all you guys out there for listening. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to subscribe to the Frothcast. Give us a few stars and spread the good word as I'll be back soon with more goodies for your ears. Also... Don't forget to check out Sole Bicycles and use the discount code FROTH to get yourself some new wheels, son. Thanks for stopping by. I'm your host, Hendo. Aloha, wasabi, and vinaka.